Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, this is a very special moment for me because you know when you meet somebody and you're thinking, why am I first just now meeting this person? Because seriously, I I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're one of those forever friends, Tanisha. Yeah, and I was like, I have to interview you for my podcast. I'm talking to you for like 30 seconds one day and I'm like, why have I not had her on my podcast? So, so thank you for being on the B-Series podcast today. I have Tanisha, bestseller Johnson. Yes, thank you, <laughs> Tina. I'm so excited. Oh my God, I feel like this has been forever before we were able to get this done. Like time is just, yeah, exactly. we're here now. We're here now. Yes. And our, our, I know for sure that our listeners are going to be so blessed by what you have to say. And you have so much to say. I almost feel like this has to be a 10 part series. Podcast. Yes, you got to bring me back. <laughs> yes, I will. We're already putting it out there, you guys, because this is going to knock your socks off. I am not even kidding you. So Tanisha, we're going to find out in a moment. Uh, why she has is nicknamed bestseller Johnson, but yeah. Tanisha is the author of 18 books, uh, in which many of them are Amazon bestsellers. Yeah. And I love that so much. Um, you're the founder of So It Is Written Publishing. We're going to talk about that. You are the exec, you have been the executive producer of a hit stage play. Um, it was yes. called When the Smoke Clears, based on mm-hmm. one of your books. And then you also, um, uh, The Phoenix Rises, it was a play that you were in to sold out audiences in 2017 and 18 in Detroit, Michigan. So that is really cool. And also you were the editorial director for Career Mastered Magazine and Hope for Women's Magazine. And now you are the national president of the Aspiring Writers Association of America. Of America, and I have to, I have to say, Tanisha, I've had so many people say to me that they want to write a book. And uh, so, where, how, and when did you actually start this publishing? Because I think right away people need to contact you. But maybe, <laughs> right yeah, just put down your uh, podcast right now. Stop <laughs> listening and just contact Tanisha because. You need to write your book. And I love, I love your social media content when it gathers around this. Cause I tell people all the time, write your book. Why aren't you yes. writing your book? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, it started for me unprofessionally. Let's just say that I've, I've always been a writer, writer. Writing has been my outlet. Um, growing up as a child, I didn't feel like I had a voice. So guess what? I had pen and paper and the pen and paper would not talk back. So I was able to let it all pour out on the pages. I leave it all on the pages. And so I published my first book in 2010 under an independent press out of Dayton, Ohio. And then after a while, that publisher was like, I'm no longer taking your money. I'm going to train you how to do this yourself and wow. you're going to do it. Like I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not publishing for you. I'm going to train you how to do it. So she literally groomed me and trained me. And then I started publishing for myself and then other people. So I've only been publishing for other people probably the last seven years, but it's my passion. I love the process. And I just love to see people hold their book baby in their hand for the first time. Like it's like holding a newborn. 
Yeah. I think I'm going to call this be an author because I have said this to so many people in the past of, you know, just write the book, just write Mm -hmm. it. And I know it's expensive, but so is a lot of other things. Yeah. Starbucks is expensive, but we go there every day. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. It's actually less expensive than Starbucks for a whole year. Trust me. Oh yeah. So doing the math and, you know, talk about why is it that someone should be an author and why should every single person on the planet write a book? Yeah, so I tell people, Tina, that if you are in the earth, you probably have two books you should write. The first one is what I call your signature brand book. So what do you do well that nobody else is doing the way in which you do it and getting the results that you get? So for Tina, that's all things hair. How can I be an excellent salon owner or a salon entrepreneur and do it in excellence and keep clients coming through the door? So that's like your niche. So that would be your signature brand book specifically. The other book I tell people to write is a portion of their life story. A lot of people set out to write their life story. And I'm like, why? We don't need to know when your uncle died, when your best friend died, when you were seven. We need to know about those transformational moments in your life. So if you were diagnosed with cancer and then you were healed from cancer, we just need to hear about that part of your life. And that will lead to more speaking engagements, more coaching agreements, um, a documentary, a film. The, the opportunities are endless with writing. I tell people, once you write the book, you now have a blueprint, like I did to take it and then turn it into a script for a stage play. So when, when the smoke clears of Phoenix Rises was like a 150 page book, my script is about 40 pages, but I was able to turn that book over to a ghostwriter and they wrote the script for me. So I didn't even really have to write the script. I just had to wow. be executive producer with the stage play. So It's one of those things where I say the opportunities are endless. Tina, I tell people there are at least seven to 12 streams of income tied to just one book. So Tina, if I can get you to write that hair salon book, we can get you to to millions, Tina, with just one book. Oh man, we we are so there and I'm so excited about this and and I love this so much. Okay, so let's back up for a second because you made a really good point because I'm actually mentoring someone right now and it's actually hairstylist, of course, because I do a lot of coaching. And so they want to write a book and Mm -hmm. they're telling their whole life story. And I love that you said only tell a portion of your life story. And that's what I did in my book, Be Amazing. I just told portions of it where the transformational moments began, but it actually kind of helped with my healing too, by writing about it, because I was actually writing down things that my family didn't even know about me. Yes. But Tina, about that. Yeah. But Tina, what I tell people also is start with why. So there's a whole book called start with why, because a lot Mm -hmm. of times, yeah, you think you have a great story and a great life story. We all have a story to tell. We all have a testimony. We've all been through the ups and downs of life. But why is someone else going to need to read this book? So I tell people, number one, who is it for? Who is the book for? And number two, what problem does it solve? And I think you need to answer those two questions before you ever start with trying to write a paragraph. You need to know who you're writing to and the end result. After I've read your book, Tina Black, I should be able to operate a salon in excellence and make millions in the next five years or whatever it is, whatever the transformation is that you get for your clients, 
you can put that into a book. And I tell people, don't be afraid to give away your secret sauce. So Tina, you might have a seven step coaching program. You can give them the seven steps, but guess what? They have the seven steps, but they don't have Tina to walk them through it and actually help them implement it. So that's a different program. Now, of course, they can take a stab at it by themselves, but most people know they need to hire Tina. So for the, the salon, um, the salon stylist that's writing her book, maybe she needs to start with why and even taking the concept of why are women getting their hair done? What does it do to confidence? What does it do to our aura? What does it do to, um, you know, just, just the way we feel, the way we think about ourselves? Why is it important for women to get their hair professionally done? For me, that's like my crown and glory. I'm not a nails and toes and eyelashes and all the things like I don't wear makeup every day that's not my thing but hair I go every week yeah yeah, yeah. so I love that so much this, so I would love to hear your story Tanisha because you said writing was an outlet for you and it's interesting you said that because it was for me too so as a young girl that's what I would do I would like write little short stories and I actually was writing plays you know I remember sitting at my kitchen table at like 12 years old 13 years old and I was writing plays you know? yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. an outlet you know the make-believe stories and yep. almost like manifesting my future of what it looked like now which is so interesting as I look back but why was that an outlet for you? Tell your story why you yeah. became there. Yeah. So for me, Tina, it was an outlet because I didn't feel like my mother wanted to hear anything that I had to say, but I also have never met my father. So I actually started writing poetry. Um, and one of my poems is in one of my books and it's for, um, it's for my father who I've never met. And it's like, you know, my father wasn't there. Did he even care that I was, you know, all the things. Um, but poetry became my outlet because I was like, okay, I don't have anybody to really talk to. I'm an only child, Tina. So I didn't have siblings <laughs> to talk yeah. to. Um, I talked to my stuffed animals, but you know, that gets old really quick. So a lot of make-believe, a lot of dreaming and hoping and wishing. And that was the way for me to pour out my thoughts and my aspirations, my inspiration my heartaches because my mother wasn't, she wasn't up to listening. And there was nobody in my life who was taking the time to sit down and say, well, how do you feel? And what do you think? We, we just didn't have those opportunities, so. Yeah, that, yeah, that's amazing. And, and so you actually found a way to do it that was actually healthy. Yes. So talk to that person who maybe is choosing unhealthy ways of dealing with you know, trauma basically yes. in their lives. And, and so kind of talk about that. And also, I know you've made some choices in your life in the past that, that, uh, that you regret, obviously I, I do, yes. I have too. And yes. uh, so let's talk about those as well too, because I feel like, I feel like we're going to really change and transform some people's lives. And what I love about yeah. you, Tanisha is that you're willing to talk about the things that no one's willing to talk about. Yes, yes. yes. So Tina, I tell yeah. people my life is an open book, literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but it, it's like, I tell people, if you want to know something about me, read one of my now 20 published books. Um, but the, the project that is near and dear to my heart is called Hush. And it's a series of anthologies where we allow both men and women um, to share their story of overcoming sexual abuse. So I don't like to say I'm a sexual abuse survivor. Um, I'm a thriver after sexual abuse, so much so that I have decided that I need to be a spokesperson for sexual abuse because it happened to me. And if I can do anything on my watch, on my time in the earth to put an end to it, that's my mission. That's my one mission. Like if I was in the earth to do one thing, it would be to stop that. And so being molested as a child, I didn't feel like I could tell anybody that. I didn't feel like I could share that with anybody. So I wrote about it. And then when I got grown, I wrote about it some more, worked through it in counseling. And even in counseling, one of the tools that they use is writing. They're like, journal what's coming up, journal what you think, and we'll talk about it next week. So you're still writing. It may not be professionally, but you're still writing. And even today, Tina, I went a step further and started a nonprofit called the Monarch Circle. So what we want to do is we want to create small groups and safe spaces for both men and women. Because, Tina, when I started doing those projects, what I realized is there's a whole lot of places for women to heal. But where do men go and heal yeah, when they've yeah. been sexually abused? It doesn't exist. So I, I'm just crazy enough to believe that God can use this little black girl from the hood of Chicago and um, do some amazing things in the earth. So I'm just crazy enough to believe that he's going to send me the mentors, the coaches, whoever we need to get people past the finish line and actually heal from sexual abuse. We suppress so much and it ends up showing up and bleeding over into our work and how we raise our kids and our marriages and all the things we have to deal with it, take the Band-Aid off, heal from it and be real with ourselves and say, this happened to me. I don't know why it happened to me, but how can I turn around and use it for the glory of God? Yeah, that's so good. Um, talk, okay, I need you to talk about the Monarch Circle because I feel yeah. like someone's listening to this right now and they're like, okay, I need to get involved. <laughs> uh, so how do people get involved? Give us some more details with us. Yeah, so the Monarch Circle, we're in our first year. We haven't even got our five. We have our 501c3, but we haven't had it for a year yet. So we do a couple events per year. We do a daddy-daughter dance, always the Friday right before Father's Day. So we just did that event. We also do a live event called Turquoise and Tears, where, where we pray over women and we recrown them as if the molestation, the sexual abuse has never even happened. Um, the small groups, we're still working out the dates, but our goal is to launch them in the fall, um, ideally in the you know Detroit metro area and maybe in a suburb. But once we launch you know, one or two groups, then our opportunities will be for expansion outside the state. I love that so much. So people in Michigan right now can get involved in your small groups and yes. how do they contact you to get involved, to be a part of this? And what does a small group look like? What will they do? Absolutely. So they can email me at info at so it is written.net. That's my main company email. Um, and basically the small group looks like eight to 10 weeks of us taking the curriculum that we developed in the Hush series. So actually reading one of the person's stories and then there are questions at the end of every story. And then we come in and discuss those questions. People are also able to get help to work through the forgiveness process. Um, we do videos where they're actually like um, 
ask, you know, not asking the person for forgiveness, but, you know, letting the person know I forgive you, whoever that is, that may not be the predator, Tina, that may be a parent, that may be somebody they feel that didn't protect them, but working them through that process. And then for a lot of people, the biggest thing is them getting to the point where they can tell their family, this happened to me, because I sat in a lot of small groups where nobody in the family knows. And even there's a woman who's 67 right now. And she told me it was her brother, but nobody knows, nobody in the family knows. So for 60 something years, she's held that. Wow. She's been holding that. That's okay. So info at sodaswritten.net and uh, you're going to have men's groups and women's groups. Yes. Two separate Mm -hmm. groups. Okay. I love that so much. Yep. So they can email you to get on that waiting list to be a part yes. of that, which I think is really incredible. Is there a cost to this? And what will that be like? No, my goal is to make the small groups absolutely non-profit. free. Yeah. Incredible. Yes, nonprofit. Oh my yes. gosh. I love it. And it's a, uh, how long? Six to seven weeks you said? Eight to 10. Oh, eight to 10. Okay. Eight, eight to, to 10, 10 weeks. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yes. Um, you, you kind of went fast over this piece. And I want to talk about this because I was just actually interviewing someone on sexual abuse on one of my last episodes as well. And, Mm -hmm. and she does a a similar program with her nonprofit here in Port Huron, Michigan. And, um, and so she talked about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is, tell your story of forgiveness and maybe someone's gonna really relate to what you have to say. Yeah, so for me, it was both a female cousin and a male hairdresser, Tina, that um, actually were the predators, if that's what you want to call them. Um, I probably forgave them quicker than I did the people who did not protect me. Um, Number one, my cousin was, you know, maybe a teenager. So my thought process immediately went to she did it to me, but who did it to her? Because it didn't just start with her. And I think a lot of times we can forget that our predator was probably preyed on at some point themselves too. Like they didn't just get this way because they had a random thought, you know, I should start molesting people. Um, Even the male hairdresser, when I did interrupt the pattern and say, stop, you know, what are you doing? Um, He was very remorseful, you know, please don't tell, please don't, I'm sorry, you know, very apologetic. But again, it's the people who put me in the position to be that vulnerable and left alone with them that I blamed for years. So it took me a long time to forgive like my grandmother, my mother, because my mother would drop me off at the hairdresser at 7 a.m. in the morning. I don't even know if y'all do 7 a.m. appointments anymore. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) But at 7 a.m. in the morning at a male hairdresser's house and I am the first Mm -hmm. appointment and the next person doesn't come until 9 a.m. So he's got two hours to just free reign. Yeah. So it was more so harder for me to forgive the people that I felt like should have protected me than the actual predators. But at the end of the day, God requires forgiveness. He had me study this one verse and it says Mm -hmm. just clearly, like your father in heaven cannot forgive you if you refuse to forgive. And it's like plain and simple, like there is no um, parable, there is no underlying, like it says what it says and it means what it says. If we want to be forgiven by God, 
we have to forgive others. Yes, even those people. And the way the Lord explained it to me, he said, even those people are my sons and daughters. And I desire for even them to come back to me. And yeah. so seeing them the way God sees them as, as broken, and we're all broken in some area, but seeing them as the way God sees them as a broken vessel and as a broken soul who needs to be healed, as opposed to seeing them as just our predator, then that was transformational for me. Wow. Tanisha, that's incredible. And, and I know someone's listening right now and saying, uh, it's easy for her to say, but <laughs> first yeah. of all, I, I don't believe in God, so I'm not going to forgive that person. What, what, what do you say to someone that says that? The biggest thing I would say for the people who believe in karma or they say, you know, the golden rule, the golden rule stands outside of religion. It's like do unto others as you want them to do unto you. We've all hurt somebody or we've all betrayed somebody intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. And if you didn't know at the end of the day, you want that person to forgive you in their heart. Like you really don't want them to hold any ill will, you know. So I get to a place where I'm like, you have to get to a place where your freedom and your, because forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. The Bible is clear. Nobody gets away with anything. God sees yeah. and knows everything. And yeah. sometimes the sin, the guilt, the shame, all of that is way more weight and punishment than this person, you know, sitting behind jail or being killed or whatever the things we want to do to predators who rape and molest. But again, that shame and guilt is tormenting. Trust me, they're mm -hmm. being tormented in the earth. So what I tell people is like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And yeah. you really have to take a moment to step back and put yourself in the position and say to the person who made a mistake, maybe they did it one time, they didn't do it repeatedly, but they did it one time. Would you want forgiveness? You know, if you were the predator, would you want forgiveness? Or you have to put it in perspective and say, if this was my son or this was my daughter, would you prosecute them as quickly as a stranger? Yeah. Because yeah. We, we would want grace and mercy if it was one of our children, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 1,000%. And this is incredible. I, I love this so much. And, and I, I want to go back to when you said, see people the way that God sees them. And I just, I think that's so, so powerful. And, and, yeah. you know, because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of my staff and I'm, you know, I'm speaking a lot and just, you know, the Lord, like put it on my heart to like really see people and something my husband uh, did for me. And he said, he said, Tina, look, if you're, if you're like really frustrated with somebody, look in their eyes mm -hmm. and he said, look in their eyes. And when you look in someone's eyes, you actually see their soul. Mm -hmm. And he said, and you're like, whether it's on a zoom call or whether I'm, you know, talking to a student or staff member, somebody that's done something bad or whatever. Right. Yeah. And if we're having some kind of coaching or disciplinary measure, looking in their soul, like immediately I have like this grace and see yeah. people the way God sees them. But I do have to pray about that too, because many times my emotions get in the way I'm angry at the situation, mm -hmm. uh, angry at them. And so it, I have to take a step back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And talk about that. What's the process for you with that? So the biggest thing for me, and just like you said, I've asked God to allow me to see 
people's heart and soul. Um, they may be doing something on the outside, but why are they doing something on the outside? So to the girl who's always nasty or always frustrated, she always has an attitude. She, yeah. okay, so so what men hurt her? Um, what was her upbringing like? What was her childhood like? So a lot of times I tell people we're adults, but guess who was in a driver's seat? Like our seven-year-old self. The seven-year-old girl that was unfulfilled, the seven-year-old girl that didn't feel seen or heard. So at a lot of my events, Tina, I'm so glad you said it the way you said it, because I make my attendees stand up. Even when we had to wear masks, I say, stand up, turn to the person next to you or find somebody in the room that you have not talked to, look them dead in the eye and say, I see you. Yeah. I see you because a lot of times we all have the same desire wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, wanting to be valued. I think it was Maya Angelou where she said, people will forget what you said, but nobody forgets how you made them feel. Yeah. Like there are people who have made me feel like I can conquer the world. And there are people who have made me feel like I don't matter, like a can of paint, like paint on the wall. Like it's just that they can take or leave me. I'm like the bottom of the shoe to them. Yeah. And those are the people that I steer clear of because of the way you made me feel. You you may be saying something different with your mouth, but I remember the way you made me feel. So yeah. my goal is my goal is because I remember being unseen and I remember feeling unheard. So every time I'm in a room, when I'm at church, I'm always loving on people. I'm always hugging people. I'm always saying good morning. Good morning, beautiful. Good morning, queen. I'm always edifying and encouraging people. Because guess what, Tina? You might not be married to a man who's calling you beautiful or queen, but you'll get it from me. Yeah. You know, so uh, again, is how can I make you feel like you are God's daughter or God's son? Yeah. yeah. And how, I mean, seriously, like there's not many people that go from as much adversity as you have, Tanisha, and then like become an advocate for people. And you're like, yeah. you're a rare, a rare <laughs> percentage, right? And so what is it that, that, what did it take for you to get there? Like walk through that process for us. So my biggest transformation, and I tell anybody this, and I'm so glad that we go to a church where our leader allows us to be us and commune in community groups because yeah. the cell groups, the small groups, the community groups, I got the courage to tell my mother at 35 years old that I had been molested. But I got that courage because I sat through a small group that ran for 12 weeks. There were only five people in that class, but it was transformational for me. And yeah. it, it was what I needed. And so I tell people, if you can find a small group or create the small group that you want to see, meet at your house, meet at a coffee shop. If it doesn't exist in your area, you go create it. Yeah. But community groups and professional counseling, and I've been through different modalities of counseling. So I've done sound therapy. I've done neuro-optimal brain training to reprogram my subconscious. Um, I'm doing EMDR therapy now. I've done emotional polarity techniques. So I've tried all different kinds and modalities of professional one-on-one -on -one therapy with a professional counselor. And a lot of people don't like to invest because yes, they're probably anywhere from 150 to $200 an hour. But those hours over the last 10 years is mm -hmm. what has transformed me into the person I am today. Yeah. And, you know, we, I talk a lot about um, well-being 
And that's, you know, I've, I've, I'm becoming like this well-being coach. And I, I love that you're talking about this because at, at some point in your life, you're either struggling uh, you're, or you're thriving, you yes. know, or maybe a little bit of everything, but it depends on how long you stay in that, you know? Yeah. And so suffering is the lowest level and then struggling and then thriving. And so I asked my staff yesterday, I did a little class for them ask where everybody was and majority of our team was in the, was in the suffering, not suffering, wow. but in the struggling. Yeah. And there was a couple in the suffering. And so like, are we really stepping back and asking our team how they feel? Like, are they being really seen and heard? Are we yes. listening to them or are we just trying to get them to produce? Let's yes. figure out they're not producing because they're suffering right yeah. now. And let's yeah, get them but, but you have to be able, but you have to be able to get to the root of why you're yeah. suffering because talk about that. that. You know, your, yeah. your headaches or your body aches, those are all, you know, symptoms that manifest on the outside, but what's going on on the inside? And a lot of people don't get to the root. And so for me, one of my biggest roots has been the root of rejection. I grew up feeling like my mother didn't want me and I've never met my father in 42 years of life. I've never had a phone call, never a birthday card, nothing. So there's always like this big question mark around me. Like there's this whole side of my family. I just don't know. Um, but it's one of those things of like, it started showing up in my business and then it started showing up in my marriage. And it's like, I tell people marriage becomes a mirror. Like you are forced to look at yourself in a mirror and say, you always have to be like seen and heard and you have to be the center of attention because you have the root of rejection and you're scared of people overlooking you or scared of people skipping over you or, you know, all the things. So when you can really get to the root, um, and for some people, it's not rejection. It's the fear of abandonment. So you hold on to toxic relationships and you keep attracting the same type of people, friendships and men included, because you're scared to just be alone, period. Like I would rather be in a toxic relationship than to be alone. So doing the work to get to the root is what takes time. You're not going to get there overnight. I've been in counseling 10 plus years with different counselors. So I'm not telling people that this is an overnight process. Yeah. but commit to doing the work on you. And that's a full-time job, Tina. Like that's a full-time job that does not come with a 401k or a pension. Yeah. <laughs> none, of, none of the perks, but I promise you, if you do the work, you will look up and you, that's why I named my nonprofit, the Monarch Circle because of the Monarch Butterfly. It's like a double play. The Monarch, which is kingly, which is Jesus Christ. But again, it's the Monarch for the Monarch Butterfly as well. So evolving into the best version of yourself that God has called you to be. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I want to go to those roots here, but before <laughs> I do that, with the monarch circle, I feel like someone's thinking right now, well, do I have to be a Christian to be a part of this or nope. can I be an unbeliever? Okay. Yeah. So anyone yeah. it's mm -hmm. for anyone that it's wants anyone. to be a part of this. If you've yes. had, and you think, or if you, if you know that you've had sexual abuse, Yes. So it's yes. Cool. And so we'll do we'll do specific activities and specific journaling opportunities and we'll share in the safe space and all of that. But it's one of those things that I because I found transformation in a small group, I know the power of creating that community that does not exist right now. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah, for sure. And I'm so so blessed to hear this. I, I just I love this so much. And I wanna I wanna go into 
the roots because you just hit something so deep. So you're suffering for a long time, right? Yeah. Because of this root. And, and I love that you were talking about the root of rejection. And this is an area that I've struggled with in my mm-hmm. life as well, too. And, you know, just again, like, like you said, the fear of abandonment, I think people are like a lot of people are struggling 99.9% yes. of people, right? <laughs> so, yes. And I love that you said it's a process. It's not an event. It's not like you can just listen to this podcast and all of a sudden say, right. it's, it's more of, you've got to have a therapist. And I was actually just, I'll be actually interviewing someone this afternoon for our Paul Mitchell. It's called be nicer else podcast that we do. Oh. And, uh, I'm interviewing her and she's actually talking about being proactive and having a therapist all the time, all the time. Yeah. On standby. I'm texting on standby. and and FaceTime and my counselors. Yes. Like, <laughs> I <need you." laughs> yeah. How yeah. does someone find the right therapist for them. Give give advice for that. Yeah. So um, for me, a lot of people come to me because I'm open about my counseling process on social media, and mm-hmm. they specifically want to work with my counselors because they know they are Christian counselors. So if you are a believer, I think it's important for you to be with a Christian counselor because I have been with a counselor who was not Christian. And when we got to some things that were based on Christian principles, like addiction to porn or masturbation, she was in agreement with those things. But I was telling her, I'm like, okay, according to my word, uh, no, <laughs> like we don't do yeah. those. And she's like, well, it's natural. It happens. I knew that was my exit strategy. That was my time to leave. She was not, she had taken me as far as she could take me. Yeah. Um, and so you have to know the person specializes in trauma, particularly if you have childhood trauma or even adult trauma. There are people who have been raped as an adult and they've never dealt with it so that they can specialize in trauma. But again, the person has to believe what you believe, because yes. if, if, if you're Christian and then they're saying, you know, they're all of their modalities are based on Buddhism or Catholicism, you know, all the things you're going to kind of be bumping heads. But I would definitely say, ask for referrals. Referrals work like word of mouth. I share my counselor's information like, and I don't want a referral fee or anything like that. Like if it can help somebody get better mental health and get them stable, like here, here's our phone number, email, all the things, you know. And most counselors with COVID, they were forced to go to telehealth. So the benefit is now, Tina, one of my counselors is in Westland, Michigan, but my other counselor is in Dayton, Ohio. I hadn't seen her in three years, except for this weekend when I went to Cincinnati. And so I got to see her in person, but we did everything virtually. Yeah, this is, this is huge. And and I love it. It has to believe that you believe. And, and I kind of want to talk about, I want to stay on that because I think, um, you know, the question, the true question to me is, is it the right counselor? Like, are you getting better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and, and right? I tell people, Tina, I'm like, you should have homework. You, you should yes. not leave a counseling session and the person is not giving you something to do before the next session. Yes. Yeah, you should have homework. You need to really choose wisely. And because I, I have talked to some of our team members and I'm thinking, man, do they do you really have the right counselor? Do you right. really have the right therapist? Because I don't feel that you're getting better and they're getting on put on more and more medications oh. and then they're more frustrated. And mm-hmm. so you've got to be wise. You have to yeah. and really. And, and so the true transformation comes, in my opinion, 
in a mm-hmm. Christian counselor, because it's yep. going to the root of it, like you said, in God's word, which to me is the authority over the earth is God's right. word. And That's right. And, and I would say, I would say, get with a counselor who can set realistic goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so if your goal is like, for me, I tell my counselor, my goal is to get to the place where I'm so rooted in Christ that I don't wake up with anxiety if I'm looking at my bank account or I haven't got a client this month or I'm so rooted in Christ that my insides are not freaking out. So yeah. that's the place I need to get to. That's victory for me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's so big. Set realistic goals. I love that so much. And, mm-hmm. you know, what, a, and again, you know, making sure that you are transforming. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm, I'm the type of person, I'm, I'm a high D personality on the disc scale. So it's like, I want to get my results right away. Right now. So I'm very, very careful about who yeah. I allow in my inner circle, first of all, to speak into my life. I'm yes. super careful who I interview for this mm-hmm. podcast, because I want to make sure that my people are hearing from the right voices. Yes. Right. Yes. And so I, okay, first of all, um, you skated over this and I know it's a new big a book project for you and it's something that no one's willing to talk about and that's addiction to porn and masturbation yes so i please talk about that on this so, podcast. yeah so i am in the process of writing the book tina is still in my head it is not on paper yet but i have the book cover so i'm moving forward yes <laughs> um, i'm writing a book called pulling back the covers and it's specifically for christian women Mm-hmm. who are battling with addiction. The key word is addiction. I'm not talking about if you've done it once, you do it here and there. It literally became my God, lowercase g, to yeah. the point where God would be telling me no, and I would do it anyway. So I tell people, whatever voice you listen to the most, that is your God. So mm-hmm. at some point, it was my God, multiple times a day, all day, every day, when everybody left the house, Um, just, and you're always looking for the next high. So it's no different than drug addiction or alcohol addiction. You're always looking for the next high Um, until the Lord revealed a couple of things to me. He said, if you have to do it in the dark, because what people will say in the church is, well, it's not directly stated in the Bible and it's not really crystal clear if it's a sin. It may be an iniquity, but it may not be a sin. And it's a sin for some people, but not for others. There's always like this gray area. So the way the Lord broke it down to me was, do you have to do it in the dark? Would you do it in front of, let's say Pastor D. Would would you do it in front of Pastor D? If it brings you shame and guilt, it's probably sin. do you have to do it under the covers? So that's why the, the book is called Pulling Back the Covers because mm-hmm. I always had, for me physically, I always had to get under the covers. It could be 95 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. I still had to like cover up. And so for many years, even intimacy with my husband, I'm still at a place where I have to be like covered because it's that shame and that guilt where I'm like, oh my God, I'm exposed. No, let me cover up. And it's like, God is under the covers too, you know? It's like, we think if we put the covers over it, like God won't see it. And it's like, no, God sees and knows all. So it's for those people who really want to break free. Um, But it almost took me out of my marriage because literally it became a replacement for my husband. It was like, why do I have to wait on him? 
if I got this. And so there are many single Christian women who resort to that. And they say, well, when I get married, you know, I'll stop then. The truth of the matter is whatever you do when you're single, it'll be magnified when you get married. Like you probably won't stop to probably do it more. Um, so it's, that's who it's for. And walking through the keys of what the Lord showed me, he told me I was prostituting myself. I'm like, I am not a prostitute. He's like, your body's not your own. It either belongs to me or it belongs to your husband, Jermaine, but it does not belong to you. So you're touching somebody else's body uh, for little to no money, <laughs> no money. That's prostitution. Yeah. And for so long, I was like, okay, God, I don't want to prostitute my gift. I don't want to prostitute my body. Like I want this to be a temple for you to dwell. Yeah. And at the end of the day, his one assignment to me has been, I need you to continually shine a light in dark places. And that is why I write about the topics that no one else, particularly in the church is writing about. Wow. This is incredible. This is going to be a huge bestseller. It really is. And, and I, I really feel this because I feel like this is an area that's holding back uh, just human beings in general. Yes. And, and it's, again, it's pulling back the covers on our addictions and yes. there's a list of addictions, right? Mm -hmm. And so the Lord's actually been showing me over this past three weeks uh, fasting and praying. And, you know, I was kind of just skated over fasting. I never really thought about it, but yeah. what he showed me, he showed me that I want you to fast from something that has, that you're treating as a God. And it was like, literally the first thing, like he'd started simple with me and, you know, it's amazing how God just starts simple and it yeah. was coffee because I was drinking uh, coffee all day. So I switched to tea. Yes, <laughs> it's like, just yes. start drinking tea. Like it, it like literally was like a God. And like, I, I couldn't wait to get it. Like my next fix of coffee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Talk and then, and then just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the idea of, like you said, it becomes a God and Tina, I'll mm -hmm. share this. I don't know if you saw it on my social media or not. When I went to my counseling session on Monday, one of the things she told me was, you have so much anxiety and fear. And you know our testimony. Jermaine left the church about um, the around the election. So what was that like? November 2020. And he left the church for probably a year and a half. And then what many people don't know is that he, he started to want to leave me. And he was talking about divorce. And we've been married 19 years. So we've been through this roller coaster of I'm leaving, I'm staying. No, I'm leaving, I'm staying. You know, all the things. Um but there was a level of anxiety and fear that I had never experienced before because no one had, no one had cheated. No one had, it, it boiled down to offense that I wouldn't leave the church because he left the church. And I really felt torn between like, okay, God, do, do I follow you? Or because God is telling me, stand still, don't move. You stand firm. You still go to church. You still tithe you still stay on the worship team. Like I even talked to pastor. I'm like, pastor, should I step down? He's like, no, stay in your position. If he comes back, that's on him, but you stay in your position. And so the biggest thing for me was I realized with my counselor on Monday, she said, that was the place where you got into a perpetual state of fight or flight. You couldn't fight and you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't take flight either because you didn't have the money to like move out. I wanted to move out. But it was one of those things where she said, because you are anchored in him, you're not anchored in God. Mm -hmm. So when he moves, or if he doesn't move, you feel like you can't move. And when he got ready to move, you were fearful because you're anchored in him. So what happens when 
he's taken out of the picture. And I clearly heard God say, don't love and honor this man. Yes, he's my husband. I love him. I honor him. But don't love and honor him so much that you fear losing him so much that you don't listen and you don't do what I told you to do. Because then that means he's your God. I'm not God. You put him in that position as God. So it was transformational, Tina, when she was like, you're anchored in him. You're not anchored in God. And that's why you have the anxiety that you have. When he shifts, you shift because you're anchored in him. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. This is huge. <laughs> yeah. This is a whole nother podcast. This is a whole nother podcast yeah, whole nother about podcast. being anchored in marriage. Yeah. Yes. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, hang on to your boots on that one because we'll definitely do a <laughs> second <laughs> podcast on this because- this is so big because I believe like uh, this is like part of the addiction process of breaking off the addiction. And I know even for myself, I'm super careful about sharing things, even with my family, mm -hmm. uh, my spouse or my children, because I know that they're going to talk me out of something that God yes. wants me to do. So I just hush my mouth. <laughs> yes. So, so I don't know. So I don't know if you've read the book called The Upper Limit. But there's a book called The Upper Limit, and it talks about everyone has a ceiling. So for some people, it's I want to hit a million dollars in my business. For some people, it's mm -hmm. I want to buy a house by 2025 and I'm only paying 400,000. Like that's my cap. Yeah. So everybody sets a cap for themselves. The problem is when you get married is there was one person who was dreaming higher, much higher. Yeah. Yeah. Than the other person. So, the, so yeah. So the house we're in today, we've been here like six or seven years. The day we moved in, my husband was like, oh my God, I dreamed about this house. I had dreams about me working in the garage. Like I've seen it in visions and dreams. And I'm like, this is not our final house. Like this is not the final stop. Yeah. Yeah. And he was offended by that, but I am the person who dreams bigger. So I don't just see books. I see films and I see <laughs> docu-series and I see Netflix and I see media and PR and he's just like I just want to watch TV yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it's it's one of those things like we can yeah. watch the same movie and see totally different things it's crazy yeah and it's just amazing like when I just and my husband is very similar and he's always like she's got big big thoughts big dreams yes and so I just pray I just fast and pray. And it's amazing how God will just like turn things around. And I just yeah. smile because he'll say something. And instead of me saying, oh, I told you so or whatever, I just, I just, I'm like, good job, God. Good job, yeah. God. Cause he can yeah. shift mindsets with yes. your family. And so you don't have to tell them everything. You don't have right. to just talk to God. There should be some secret conversations that you're having mm -hmm. with God. And part of that is your dreams. And I'm actually with the super bloom. We're doing the Bible study on Monday yes. with uh, pastor Dominic's book, Dominic Russo's yes. book. And you are the publisher yes. of this book. You've got to get the book. Super bloom It's incredible. So I good. definitely uh, I definitely need to interview uh, Pastor D on that yes. book as well, too, Tanisha. I know you'll help me to make that happen, but Absolutely. I am not kidding you. Every single person in that Bible study is like, this book was written for me. Mm. They really like it's speaking to their soul. So well done on publishing yeah. that book because it's shifting and transforming lives. And yeah. I mean, isn't that why we'd want to read a book? Let's go yes. back to why you should be an author because mm -hmm. as we start to, um, you know, end out this podcast, but. So Tina, uh, so writing, Tina, right? speak, Tina, speaking of books, one of the ones that was transformational for me is called Forgiving 
forward, F-O-R-W-A-R-D. Okay. And there's a, there's a line in that book, Tina, that says, when you refuse to forgive other people, you subliminally tell God that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was enough for me, but not for them. Yes. So it's, it's like telling Jesus, I know you shed your blood for me, but for the person who raped me, the person who molested me, the person who beat me up, whatever it is, there's, there's um, no grace and mercy for them at the cross. No. Yeah. And when I had that perspective, I said, wow, because he yeah. came to save the world, not the church, the world. Yeah. So mm. it it puts it into perspective. Like the blood that was shed wasn't just for me. It was for the people who hurt me too. That's incredible. And the fact that you read that in a book. Yes. And it shifted your life. It transformed your life. Yes. And I believe everyone listening to this podcast right now has something to say that's going to transform someone's life because it's right. like this it's supernatural. It really is. It's like a miracle of where God works through you for other people. Yes. And, and so your story has to be told because people need to hear it yes. so that their life can be transformed. It's, it's like the domino effect, right? Yes. And it's it's a ripple. It's a ripple. a ripple effect. It's like you throw yeah. a, you throw a rock in the water and you never yeah. know where the ripple ends. Yeah. Seriously, you want to go from struggling uh, to thriving. This is the key right here. This is it right here. Helping to transform someone else's life. Like, I don't want to live a mediocre life, Tanisha. I know you don't either. No. We've tasted the goodness. We've tasted this and we want to stay in it. And so this is why I do podcasts. This is why I'm interviewing you today. This is why I write books and I will continue to write books to the day I die. Right. So, so be an author um, what's next for you? What are you working on and towards Tanisha? And, uh, and then I want to talk about, um, your last piece of advice to really spur someone on to get them to talk mm. about being an author and, and contacting you so yeah. that you can publish it too. <laughs> yeah. So, so Tina, you don't know this because I just went up to the church and security yesterday, but August 15th, I am doing an in-person workshop at Oakland church for those people who live in Michigan, Oakland Church is in Rochester, Michigan. Um, it's going to be from six to eight and we're going to meet in the lower level. And the training is called how to write a 30 day devotional in 48 hours. And so I'll be doing that training in person for those who register. I'm setting up the Eventbrite and registration page today so people can go on Eventbrite and search that. But it's August 15th, which is a Monday, and it's from 6 to 8. Um, The other thing I'm working on is launching a new anthology called Overcoming the Enemy's Plans. So we've got eight women who are sharing their stories about how they went through something um, that the enemy intended for bad and how God turned it around for their good. We're in the editing phase for that book right now. So Lord willing, it should be out in September and we'll be doing like a fall launch and hopefully an in-person book signing now that things are beginning to open up again. And then in October, my goal is to start filming what happens in this house. So you may have heard the phrase, what happens in this house stays in this house, but what do you do when the whole house is burning down because nobody is talking about like the the whole house is on fire like and nobody wants to talk about it so again it's about sexual abuse it's a short film it'll probably be about 20 minutes but my goal is to shoot it in the fall and then release the film actually early 2023 incredible 
Wow. Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, people need to contact you today and get involved. Today. With that, yes, today. Uh, yes. We're listening to it. So um, what one last piece of advice why you need to be an author and how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, I would say you need to be an author because it's your quickest way to transform lives, not not to create more transactions, not to sell a 10 or a $20 book. It's less about the transaction and more about the transformation. You have something to say, like you said, Tina, that can transform literally someone's mindset. They may never get to meet you in person. I didn't meet the people who wrote Forgiving Forward, but the fact that I had their book in my hand and the fact that I've read The Upper Limit Problem in my hand, I've never met the authors. It was transformational for me. Yeah, and so I would tell people, don't seek more transactions. You think you need more transactions in your business or in your salon or anything like that. When you bring transformation to the table, people will run to you, they'll flock to you. They'll, they'll pay whatever because they know they're going to get the transformation that you promise. Yeah, so good. I love that. Yeah, it really, it's about what's your legacy gonna be, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I, I think, I truly believe that when you get to heaven, Tanisha, people are gonna run up to you and say, you changed my life and you're gonna be like, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> I never you met you. Oh my, oh my God, <laughs> Tina. Tina, what, one quick story. So it's so funny. My husband, we went to a concert and my husband is like, people are running up to me like, I'm gonna get my book done. I promise I'm gonna get my book done. I'm working on it. You're so inspired. Oh my God, can I take a picture with you? And my husband is like, who is that? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. know. They follow me on social media. <laughs> I'm like, they follow me on social media. He's like, I am not about to be dealing with your fans the whole concert. <laughs> uh -huh. That's amazing. That, yeah. Now you know how celebrities feel. Yeah. Right? <laughs> People see me out and they see the red hair and the red glasses. They're like, yep. Tanisha. <laughs> amazing. Yes. And I love uh, following you on social media because you're so real and yes. raw and honest. And so you're so easy to be able to follow and just learning things from you. And so a uh, best way to get a hold of you, Tanisha, as we end out this podcast. Yeah. So they can, they can call my business line as much as they want to. 313-777-8607. It's a really easy number to remember. Um, they can visit our website. So, so it is written.net is our business website. My personal website, if people want to book me for speaking engagements or podcast interviews is tanitajohnson.com. It is spelled like Tanita, but it's Tanisha. So tanitajohnson.com is my personal website. And then as always, they can email me at info at soitiswritten.net. Love it. Tanisha, you are amazing. I love, love you so, so much, much, Tina. Thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tina. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.